Well, I guess I was wrong, right? At our July members meeting, I confidently, confidently declared, I guess the pandemic is over now that all the restrictions have been lifted and we're able to meet together normally. Well, three weeks later, three short weeks later, you know now for sure I am not a prophet. Uh, here we are. In, in part, meeting outside, in part because of the heat. That building is really hot right now. Uh, but in part, uh, because meeting outside, we don't have to put masks on again. And I know some of you and many of you are willing to put them back on. Some of you, that's been a real struggle. And so it just felt like, oh, let's, let's not reintroduce that struggle this first Sunday. We'll, we'll, we'll meet outside. All of us want this to be over. We, we want it to be over because uh, this, this pandemic has divided our families. We want it to be over because it, it's put loved ones at risk. Some have even died. Uh, we want it to be over uh, because we don't like the way it's being managed. We, ju- we want it to be over. And yet here we are. As we wait yet again, for this, this latest surge to subside, for restrictions to be lifted. Some of us are wondering, how long can we keep going like this? Your pastor is among them. You may feel like you are close to reaching the end of your rope. But, but maybe it's not the pandemic that's got you at the end of your rope. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's school or the fact that school is about to begin that has you feeling like you're at the end of your rope. Or, or maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's not those things outside of you. As, as bad as external crises are, even worse are the internal crises. And maybe it's that personal crisis within that has you wondering, how much longer can I go? Maybe you're facing a a personal crisis of faith or of confidence or of hope. You know, we all know what it is to, to feel overwhelmed and in need of help. When the crisis is outside of us, we can... We can turn to friends. We know who to call. There, there, there are people that are going to be able to come along and kind of solve whatever the problem might be. But, but where can we turn when we find ourselves overwhelmed from within? Well, to answer that question, we turn again to the Psalms of Ascent. You know, last week, uh, when Jeff Chang was here, and it was so wonderful to have him back, uh, we considered uh, a, a psalm that provided hope in, in, in the face of, of external opposition, external challenges. But this week, we consider the challenge of the enemy that is within. Where can we find hope when the problem isn't our circumstances, but ourselves, our own failings, weaknesses, or even sin? Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. It's it's right there in the the middle of your Bible. And I'm going to 
read the whole thing here right at the start, and then I'll read it more as we, as we consider its message for us this morning. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. We don't know who wrote this psalm. We don't know when it was written. The the ancient church counted this as one of the seven penitential psalms, psalms of penitence, psalms of confession and plea for forgiveness that they used in their regular liturgy. The most famous of those penitential psalms is Psalm 51, the psalm that David penned after his sin with Bathsheba. Like that psalm, this one, Psalm 130, is is tightly structured and deeply moving. It's, It's structured through all sorts of repeated words, and it breaks into these four two-verse stanzas. But I hope you notice that the word that's repeated most often is the name of God. Actually, two different words used over and over and over again. The word Yahweh which is translated LORD in all caps in your Bible, and the word ADONAI, which means MY LORD, and that LORD is not all capitalized. Those two names of God, eight eight times in this short psalm. And that repetition, I think, is, is meant to lead us to The conclusion of this psalm, the goal of this psalm, the the, the main idea that I want you to walk away with, and I made it short so you can remember it. We can't put it on the screen. There's no screen. Here it is. If God is your Lord, then your hope is sure. Right? If, If the Lord, God, is my Lord, your Lord, personally, then your hope is sure. It's certain. Now, we're going to consider this briefly in the four steps that these four stanzas lead us on. And to help you remember, I've done something that I don't normally do. I've come up with four C's. Now, all all those people out there who are just walking by think, oh, typical Baptist pastor, alliteration, you know I never do this. But I'm going to give you four C's to help you remember what what he's doing here. Uh, We're going to look at the cry of faith the character of God, the carriage of hope, and the confidence of Israel. The cry of faith, the character of God, the carriage of hope, and the confidence of Israel. As we consider Israel's sure and certain hope, I want you to consider this morning where your hope is found. All right, so first, the cry of faith. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. What are the depths from which the psalmist cries? We don't know because he doesn't say. Verse 3 
Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, verse 3 makes clear that it's, it's connected to iniquity, either his own iniquity or the iniquity of his, of his people, Israel. But this is not a confession of what he has done, but rather of where it's brought him. He's come to an end of himself. He is deep in the pit. He is drowned in an ocean of grief, and he needs help. So he turns, and and he cries out to the Lord. Three times in those first two verses, he calls out, I call to you, listen to my voice, be attentive to my cry. Each time that he cries out, it becomes a little more intense, a little more plaintive. Friends, where do you turn for help? When, when you're overwhelmed and overcome with grief and despair, especially when that grief and despair is because of you, about you. You know, we often, we often turn to things that will numb the pain, like alcohol or, or weed. Or, or we turn to things that will distract us from the pain, like video games or binging that next series on Netflix or Amazon. Or we turn to things that at least temporarily will drown out the pain, like sex or shopping, like cutting or exercise. And, and all of them kind of work. For a moment. But the problem with all of those things is they, they don't last. They, they don't solve the problem. And they don't keep the problem at bay long enough. So we have to go back to them again and again. All they're really doing is helping us avoid the pain. The psalmist turns to the Lord and cries out to him. And friends, that's what faith is. Faith is not irrational trust. It's not blind, a blind leap into the dark. Faith faith is not a, a kind of religious form of denialism. Faith begins where self ends. When we come to an end of ourselves, when we come to an end of of whatever we've tried to deal with our sorrow or our self-loathing or our despair, that's where faith begins. It it turns away from those other things that we were trying, and instead it, it turns to God, and it cries out to him. I, I think almost by definition, faith is a a casting yourself upon the Lord. Faith doesn't try to cut deals with God. Faith doesn't take half measures. Like like a drowning man who has a a life raft thrown to him and, and, and he's clinging to it, faith clings to God as its only hope. There's there's nothing of self reliance in faith, nothing of self promotion left. When faith calls out of the depths. Because faith finally understands that my biggest problem 
is inside me. And the only hope, the only solution is outside of me in the God who made me. Now, many would say that such faith is misguided or misplaced. But the psalmist knows better, which leads to our second C, because the cry of faith lays hold of the character of God. The cry of faith lays hold of the character of God. Look at verse 3. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. Faith recognizes that God is holy. God is, God is righteous. There, there is nothing morally impure about him. There is nothing wrong with him at all. And so faith recognizes that if God kept an account of iniquities... If, if he held our sins against us, we would have no hope. Now, that language of, of uh, keeping an account, uh, it, it might make you think that, that God is like some celestial accountant, and he's got his ledger open, and he's, he's marking down all the good things that you've done, and he's marking down all the bad things that you've done, and he's going to decide whether or not it kind of weighs out whether you're in the red or in the black at the end. But, but that's not actually the image that's being used here. The, the word, the verb that's being used, is the verb form of the noun that we see down in verse 6. The noun is a watchman. The, the psalmist is saying, Lord, if, if, you, if you watched, if you kept a watch on our iniquities... Oh, then who could stand? This is an image of a, of a watchman, or, or we might think in terms of like a sports analogy of a, of a judge or a, rever, a referee who is omniscient and omnipresent. He misses nothing. My, my oldest uh, son was a competitive swimmer when he was younger, and the meets were really long, and so I decided I didn't want to just sit around uh, for the the total of five or ten minutes out of three days that my son would be swimming, I wanted to do something while I was there. So I signed up to be a stroke and turn judge. And they, they trained me in, in how to judge the swimmers that were swimming. And it was, it was uh, instructive. Be, because here's the thing, in, in, a, in a swim meet, it doesn't matter how many times you do the stroke Right? It doesn't even matter if you get to the end first. If the judge sees even once that you didn't do the stroke right, that that you didn't make the turn correctly, if he sees it even once, he immediately has to raise his hand. And you're disqualified. Even if you won the race. That's the image here. And this is the condition of us all. We're, we're, all, we're all in this, this, this race of life, right? And, and we're, we think we're doing our best. And, and, and may, maybe some of us, I think, we're, we're going to get there first like because we're doing really well. We hope to mount the podium like at the Olympics and get our reward. And yet the reality is, no matter how many good days you've strung together, no matter how many acts of obedience or kindness 
that you've done to have failed even once in front of a, of a judge who never misses anything, sees everything, to have failed even once is to be disqualified. All the self-reliance and self-confidence in the world will do us no good. All our good deeds are of no help. We are all guilty of living contrary to God's law, at least somewhere. And if the Lord, the, the judge, the, the watchman, took account of it, if, if, he, if he held it against us, we would have no hope. We would have no place to stand. But faith recognizes more than just that, that God is the, the watchman who, who sees everything. Now, faith also recognizes that God displays his holiness by providing the means for forgiveness. You saw that there in verse 4. There's, there's a but. Lord, if you kept account of iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. How did the psalmist know this? Well, he could, he could look at the daily sacrifices at the temple and realize God has provided a way, a means for me to be forgiven. But friends, we don't go to the temple. We don't look at the sacrifice of lambs every day as, as assurance that, that there's forgiveness with God. We look to Christ, the better and final sacrifice. This, this is what the cross is all about. In holiness, God poured out his wrath on Jesus, his son, not because Jesus was guilty of anything, but because we are. And then three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead, proof that his sacrifice had been accepted, that it was sufficient for our forgiveness. Why would God do this? Like, you know, when I was a stroke and turn judge, I wasn't even allowed to do this. I couldn't say, oh, well, I, I, I saw you do a flutter kick there in the reststroke, but I'm just going to let it slide this time. I, I wasn't allowed to do that. That would be unfair. Why, why would God do this? Well, we're told there at the end of verse 4, so that you may be revered, worshipped, as the holy and righteous God that he is. And with God, there's nothing unfair about it because the penalty for the sin, my sin, your sin, was laid on Jesus and he paid it for us. You understand that God forgives all who repent and call out to him in faith, not in order to gain leverage over you, not, not that he can like hold it over you the way we sometimes hold our forgiveness over others. No, he, he didn't do that to, to hold something over us. No, he forgives us in order to be in relationship with us. That we might recognize him for who he is, that we might revere him and worship him as the Lord and that we might know his love. Friends, this is the character of God displayed in Jesus Christ. 
And if you're here this morning, if you've just walked by and you've joined us, or if you're here regularly, but you understand that you are not a Christian, this is what we're asking you to trust in. We're, we're asking you to trust that, that God is the kind of God who would go to these kinds of lengths in order to be in a relationship with you. And that what he asks of you is to turn away from trusting in other things and to trust in Christ instead. To cry out to him and to cling to him like the only life raft you have in this life. We'd love to talk to you more about this. Stick around afterwards. You can come talk to me. Talk to somebody that you came with. But we want you to understand that the cry of faith is neither irrational nor misguided, but but is in fact your only and your best hope because with God, there is forgiveness. Now, if if you are a Christian, you've already done this. You've, You've placed your faith in Christ. You've already cried out for help. So what does the forgiveness of God mean for you today? Right now? Well, that leads to our third C, the carriage of hope. The carriage of hope. Look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Well, having called out to the Lord, our pilgrim on his way to to Jerusalem, now waits, and he's waiting for the Lord to answer his plea. But what kind of waiting is this? This is not a, a bored, idle waiting, like, like waiting for the school day to end, or waiting for that TriMet bus to come, which it might never. It's also not an uncertain or, or anxious waiting, like like when you interview for a job and you're waiting for them to call you back to let you know whether you got it or not. Or, or you met that, that cute guy and you're waiting to see if he's going to call. No, it's not like that. This is a, a straining forward, an eager expectation. This is, this is a longing that actually motivates and, and energizes you like a watchman waits for the morning. This is the the carriage or posture of hope. Nothing idle or uncertain about it. The sun is going to rise. And the watchman cannot wait. And so he waits with eager expectation for the end of his watching. Now, we're not told what kind of watchmen these are. Is Is it the city watchman who is longing for the sun to rise because he's eager for the dangers of the night to pass when when brigands or advancing armies would come against the city. Maybe. Or or are these sentries out in the field with the army who long for the morning to come because the camp wakes up and the companionship and fellowship of their fellow soldiers returns? Nor is is it the temple watchmen who keep watch all night but are eagerly waiting the joy of the morning sacrifice. 
We don't know. He doesn't tell us what kind of watchmen these are. And, and frankly, it almost doesn't matter, right? Because all different kinds of watchmen, they all speak to our posture, our carriage of hope as believers. I mean, think about it. Take those images in turn, right? Having been forgiven, we yearn to be delivered completely from the dangers of sin in a fallen world. We yearn for that day when besetting sins no longer plague. But also, having, having experienced the, the fellowship of believers, something that we're experiencing even now, oh, but, but this service is going to end and we're going to go back to our days and back to our weeks. Oh, we, we yearn, we long for heaven where congregations ne'er break up. Sabbaths never end. Or, or consider that, yes, we've been forgiven, that the sacrifice has been made. Having tasted, therefore, the fellowship of the Spirit, are we satisfied? No. No, we, we strain toward the consummation of our faith when we see Jesus face to face. Our hope, is for a full deliverance of sin, body and soul. Our hope is for the assembly of all the saints and for that assembly to never end. Our hope is not simply for the joy of the Spirit in this life, but for the joy of heaven itself. And that kind of hope changes how we live today. Now, now of course, it changes what we do today, right? Uh, so, for example, you can think of it as, as the bride. We sang a song earlier about the bride waiting for, for her groom, right? So as the bride looks forward to her wedding day, she doesn't twiddle her thumbs. But she, she kind of throws herself into getting ready for that day. She's quite active. She's busy. There's, there's lots to do. Or, or, or think about that sports analogy I used earlier. As the, as the athlete waits for game day to arrive... He doesn't just sit around. No, he, he trains. He, he disciplines himself. He gets ready for the day. And certainly we do all of those things. The, the, the Christian life is an active life. As, as we train ourselves, as we discipline ourselves, as we prepare for the day that Christ returns. But that's not exactly what's in view here. It, it's not what we do that's in view here, but how we do it. We wait with eager anticipation. We wait with confidence. So often, though, I think we find ourselves waiting with anger, waiting with anxiety, waiting with fear. Why are we waiting for Jesus in those ways? Well, isn't it because all three of those things, anger, anxiety, fear, aren't they produced by our inability to control the people and the circumstances around us? We are, we are unable to, to control the night that we're in, and we get angry about it, or we get anxious about it, or we become fearful about it. But that's not the watchman here. The watchmen know that though the night feels long, the sun will rise. 
There is no question about it. The carriage, the posture of hope, is not found in our ability to control the night, but it's found in our certainty that the dawn will come. The Lord will return, as we sang with healing in his wings. And that carriage of hope, with that, with that attitude of, of, of certainty, leads to our fourth C and our last C. The confidence of Israel. The confidence of Israel. Look at verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Just like in Psalm 51, where David at the end of the psalm turns and says, Lord, if having forgiven me, I'm going to teach others, so our pilgrim turns and encourages others in the same confidence that he's found in the faithful, forgiving love of the Lord. We've moved here in this final stanza, these last two verses, from I and my to you and your, except it's plural, so it's y'all and y'alls. This is the pattern of the Christian life. Having found forgiveness, we don't keep it to ourselves. Having, Having been rescued... Because we know that the Lord heard our cry. We're not content that that I'm the only one rescued. We want others to know this rescue. We want others to, to grow in their experience of God's faithful love. And so we turn to each other and we say to each other, put your hope in the Lord. Why should I put your put my hope in the Lord? Because the Lord, wherever he goes, always has three companions that are always with him. Forgiveness, verse four. Faithful love, verse 7, and abundant redemption, verse 7. Who else would you want to be with than him? Christian, we can have confidence, therefore, in our evangelism. I I know that oftentimes we we think, no one's going to listen to me. The the, the people around me, they, they don't need help like I've needed help. I'm not good enough to explain this hope. I won't won't be able to answer their objections. If if that's you, if you are a fearful evangelist, if you are a doubtful evangelist, I I just want to point you back to verse 8. The Lord will redeem Israel from all of its iniquities. Not just ancient Israel. But Israel, the people of God, the elect of God from all nations and over all time, the entire people of God will be saved. No matter how many the sins, no matter how great the iniquity, no matter how profound the disqualification, the Lord will save his people. And though you may not be able to see the depths inside of others, the the depth of pain or sorrow or despair, the depth of guilt, the, the Lord sees and he hears. So we don't know who the full number of Israel will be. I can't look at somebody 
and say, oh yeah, this one needs the gospel, that one doesn't. This one will accept the gospel, that one won't. I can't do that. But what I have is confidence that as we point people to the forgiveness that is in Christ, the Lord will redeem all Israel. So brothers and sisters, tell people about your hope. Tell people that with the Lord, there is abundant redemption, forgiveness, and faithful love. But not only can we be confident in our evangelism, we can also have confidence in our worship. You know, some of us came this morning feeling deeply disqualified already. Some of us didn't come at all because they felt like they didn't deserve to be here. Some of us this morning are wondering if we'll, if we'll make it one more day in the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is why we gather. We, we gather not because we're confident in ourselves, but because we're confident in the Lord. He is faithful even when we are not. He loves us in Christ, though our love, as the song says, is oft times cold. Our faith feels meager. We, we feel like we're way down there in the bottom of a pit, and our voice, there's no way it can reach all the way to the top so that he would hear it. Oh, but brothers and sisters, with the Lord is redemption in abundance. This is why we gather. We gather to remind each other of these things. And we, we gather to encourage one another to, to express our confidence in this truth, that no matter the depth of sorrow or discouragement or despair that we feel over our own sin, that depth is not too deep for the cry of faith to reach God's ears. Henson, put your hope in the Lord. For God is deeper than the deepest depth in you. And he is attentive to your cry. Would you join me in prayer? Take just a moment. And in that deep place in you that's causing pain, despair, sorrow, take a moment and just confess that to the Lord and cry out to him. Lord God, you are the God who hears. You hear our cry to you. You hear our cry of faith and you answer.
So we pray that we would be done with ourselves, that we'd be done with our own efforts uh, to, to deal with our, our sin, our sorrows, our failings. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who cling to you and you alone. And Lord, we pray that that would fill us with confidence. Confidence to tell others of you and confidence to enter into your presence in the joy of the Lord. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.